Hi everyone, this is Elise Wickstrom and Sarah Campbell and we are live from the past. All right, how do you how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I had a job interview this morning for an internship this summer. Um, not going to say what yet, <laughs> um, but I should know within the next few days. Um, and besides that, I've just had a very busy day. I don't think I've really sat down besides my classes for a while. Um, but yeah, good day. Just busy. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm I'm very tired. I think this has been... I think I've said this maybe every week, but this is the most <laughs> tired I've been all semester. Um, it's just a busy semester for you. Yeah, well, it's it the is. second semester of your junior year, so. Yeah, <laughs> um, second semester of sophomore year. I was also very tired, but I don't think I was ever as sleepy my sophomore year as I have been this year. Which maybe, maybe I just need to you know. Sleep more. Um, <laughs> so. Um, your internship is for this summer? This summer. I'm not going to say what yet. You're not going to say what yet. <laughs> it's a 12-week internship um, paid, so hopefully I'll get yeah. it. it. I'll just say it's at a museum. So That's awesome. Um, marketing for a museum, which mm-hmm. is what I want to do. So yeah. um, that was good. And, you know, I've been checking my email every 55 seconds to see <laughs> um, for study abroad to see if I've heard back yet, and I have not. But it could be months for all I know. Mm-hmm. I I'm similarly I have applied for a job or I've asked about a job um recently and oh, I didn't know that. uh there there's been no um response uh, no response not not in a like I'm not mad about it or anything it's just like, like me nerve-wracking <laughs> yeah no it's the waiting that's yeah, awful yeah. and nerve-wracking and um I'd rather just know you know even if it's yeah. no I would rather just even if the answer is no mm-hmm. I would rather just know because then you can, you know, make plans. And recover yeah. and move forward with my life instead of checking my email every five seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> every time I get an email in on Outlook, I'm I like... I, like, hold my breath. I, like, can't breathe. Is it... Is it... Is the it top? the email? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? <laughs> it's not healthy. Honestly, it's no. really not healthy. We are we are two anxious people on yeah. this podcast. <laughs> if you couldn't tell that already. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, so... Um, We've started a little bit after the hour today. Um, we had some technical difficulties. So if you're listening live, that's why we're a little bit after the hour. Um, but it's worth the wait because yeah. what are we talking about today? We are talking about the Harlem Renaissance. Yeah. Um, so this is a, a fascinating topic. Um, we are both pretty knowledgeable about it, I'd say. Yeah. But as you know, Elise and I tend to like switch on and off based mm-hmm. on like areas of interest. And not that this is not an interest of mine, but particularly for Elise, this is a topic that she chose and wants to discuss with us today. Yeah. So uh, just going to give a short definition of the Harlem Renaissance. Um, it was an artistic, philosophical and sociopolitical movement centered in Harlem in the 1920s among black intellectuals. So it wasn't just in the 1920s. It mm-hmm. um it started in, like, the late 1910s and then went all the way through the 60s. Um, so we're kind of looking at Great Depression era yeah. that we're entering into here. Yeah. So it started in Prohibition-era speakeasies. Um, so if you Should we maybe just quickly say what Prohibition is? Yes. And also speakeasies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to define speakeasies, but Prohibition-era. So if you're not from the U.S., um, we have some international listeners, oddly enough. <gasps> yeah, um, Australia. Yeah, high score international listeners. France and Germany. Yeah, and I recently found out how to see like where in these countries they're listening from. I'll show you that later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, for those who are listening from 
across the pond. Um, Prohibition um, was an era in American lawmaking where alcohol was illegal. Um, but still heavily prevalent while kind of hidden. You yeah, know? yeah. It it was... Especially among the higher elite classes. Exactly. A, yeah. lot of, a lot of mobsters got their first sort of rung up because of prohibition and because it was so easy to sell alcohol, alcohol yeah. but also so illegal <laughs> yeah um, um which if you listen go listen to our episode last week we talked about prohibition with the feminist movement and how it gave a voice for many women in this time period mm-hmm. so. yeah yeah um but on the other hand other end of that so with temper we were talking about temperance last right. week this this week we'd be talking about the women who benefited from alcohol, not from the prohibition of alcohol. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, these women um, and men alike uh, visited speakeasies. Speakeasies. Maybe we are shouldn't say benefited from alcohol, but benefited, benefited from, from the underground alcohol industry. <laughs> I would say that's indirectly benefiting from alcohol. But not this. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say here. I do. I do know what you're trying to say. Um, no, not benefited from alcohol, but benefited from a different side to the culture right. that was pro-alcohol. Right. Um, so speakeasies, going to mm-hmm. define that really quick. Speakeasies were um, sort of underground bars. Yeah. Um, sometimes literally underground. Other times just like in back rooms. You'd have to know special passwords. Yeah. Yeah. And They're very in now. Yeah. They're v- are right now? Yeah. Like, well, like, you know the show Riverdale? Yeah. They like brought back speakeasies in that show there's one in my hometown there's a speakeasy how but but it's a but it's like the whole point of a speakeasy it's, is it's that illegal. is illegal i know <laughs> it's like a uh, i don't like myself for saying this but it's a vibe <laughs> it's a vibe um it's like a vibe of a speakeasy of like the red leather mm-hmm. and yeah. or felt or whatever and you know prohibition era drinks and yeah. when you say speakeasy now it brings in all the context of the 1920s flappers mm-hmm. um and so we have a, a quote-unquote speakeasy in my town that's at the back of a diner <laughs> and so you enter <laughs> that's from actually awesome the back parking lot and there's a red carpet and it's called the ebenezer um it's that's amazing and it's 21 plus yes so. that's the fact that it's called the ebenezer I is know. amazing somehow. so Speakeasies are still a thing, but they're not illegal. They're yeah. just called speakeasies because it's now cool. It's now just a certain kind of bar. Yeah, very it's like 1920s. A jazz age bar. Yeah, jazz. There you go. Yeah. Lots of jazz. Jazz age bar, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But back in the day, when in the actual jazz age, <laughs> um, they were very illegal. And so if they ever got busted, yeah, you would have to all pretend that you were like at just a social gathering, doing something else, like or at a birthday party or yeah. whatever. And they had these like wild names for drinks so if you're above the age of 21 and not going to the university in which we are going um you will know probably some of these drinks of like a sidecar um an old-fashioned like that kind of thing 1920s yeah these drinks were named like kind of surreptitious names yeah so that they wouldn't get caught so that they could order a sidecar and it wouldn't be just like oh you're ordering alcohol Alcohol, immediately yeah. yeah so if you are a harry potter fan and you watch fantastic beasts (laughs) <laughs> that's with magical creatures a speakeasy but that's like that time period and mm-hmm. underground bar and drinks and um yeah yeah um so in in this era of speakeasies um these these renaissance harlem renaissance social clubs would meet in these speakeasies um and uh men and women um 
and men and women of different races would congregate and talk because it was already legal to be at a speakeasy. So there were a lot of social norms being broken already. So mm-hmm. um, there was dancing, there was food, there was le- alcohol. Um, and these speakeasies and the social connections that resulted from from people gathering in them led to the artistic movement that was the Harlem Renaissance. Yeah, and um, I think looking <clears throat> at that word Renaissance itself, you know, means rebirth. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at the rebirth of Harlem, you know, starting in Harlem, New York, but looking at how this is really a rebirth of um, black artists, philosophers, mm-hmm. culture. Um, you see huge amounts of literary works come out of this time, of artistic works come out of this time. Yeah, so... Um, so sort of the younger members of the Harlem Renaissance mm-hmm. are going to find their sort of voice in these these uh, environments. Um, but there were some who were a little bit older, like um, the first person we're going to talk about, W.E.B. Du Bois, um, who were who did not get their like their legs under them in this kind of environment, mm. but contributed to the culture nonetheless. Yeah. Um, Still someone we would think of of contributing and being an active part of the Harlem Renaissance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so W.E.B. Du Bois was born in, uh, 1868 and he died in 1963. So he was almost a hundred years old. Yeah. Um, good for him. Good for him. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. He was like 95. Um, but he was, um, a sociologist primarily, but he was also a philosopher and political commentator and he collected, um, anthropological sort of, uh, stories and folklore, um, very much like Zora Neale Hurston, who we'll talk about in a mm-hmm. bit. Um, he was, he wrote, so his, his major work was called The Souls of Black Folk. Um, and that is like just this anthology of stories from his experience and his experience growing up in mm-hmm. the North as a black person, but also from um, stories that he's heard from the South uh, of Friedman's children who have grown up in the south and grown up sharecropping <clears throat> so he's also yeah. a big proponent for education and for black involvement with ed- education he was one of the first black men to attend Harvard so he attended yes. Harvard in 1895 um, yes yeah. he attended Harvard he was highly educated mm-hmm. um, and he Maybe his, like, intellectual rival, you could say, was a man named Booker T. Washington, Mm. who our American listeners will know well. Um, But Booker T. Washington was uh, also a black educator. Um, He was he took the route of more um, skilled labor um, and kind of working your way up, kind of. Uh, pulling yourself up by your bootstrap sort of mentality. Mm -hmm. Whereas W.E.B. Du Bois said that the whole infrastructure of American life should be turned upside down because of how it had been built through slavery. Right. Um, He also said that capitalism was a primary cause of racism. Yes. He was, he was one of the early American Marxists, I would say. Yeah. He also, something that I sort of gravitate in the knowledge about him is his, um, advocation for liberal arts education Mm -hmm. Um, and so Elise and I go to a liberal arts school and so he was an advocate of a broad liberal arts education at a college level and he believed in full citizenship and equal rights for African Americans should be brought about through efforts of the intellectual elite um, and through liberal arts schools. Mm -hmm. I I wasn't sure I, I I didn't know about that part about him being specifically 
targeting the liberal arts because they would lead to equality. Yeah. That's a really good fact about that. About him. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, yeah, he was he was an early Renaissance um, man. <laughs> he was a, he, he was an early har- figure in the Harlem Renaissance, I should say. Um, and he uh, he was the main like philosophical, sociological driver behind this movement, mm. I would say. Um, so secondly, we're going to talk about Zora Neale Hurston, who yeah. is a very prolific writer. Very, um, yeah. I had to read uh, one of her books when I was in high school, and I think that's generally true that mm-hmm. uh, it's now a requirement to read, at least, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, did you read her eyes? Were, their, their eyes, eyes were watching, watching God? God. Yeah. Did you um, read that in high school? I did, yes. It's, um, yeah, it's a hugely influential book. Yeah. Influential book. And would you mind to like speaking a little bit about it? Speaking about the book? Yeah. Yeah, let me... Because um, I, I don't really sure. remember it. <laughs> yeah, I was... I think I read it in 10th grade grade i want to say but it was a requirement at my mm-hmm. school to read it um no matter like if you were in honors or in regular so um yeah so i would say this is probably her most known piece of literature mm-hmm. probably um so it kind of attacks the idea of stereotypical relationships between men and women um in that it disempowers women um, at least a, that's a large part of what I talked about. It's this tale of Janie Crawford, who's um, basically a search for her personal identity, like this character. Um, and it's j- just about her life and what she learns and what she loves, um, her joys and sorrows, finding peace. Um, this book is criticized and at least discussed within schools for addressing the quote-unquote race problem. Um for choosing sensuality over social commentary mm. as kind of a discussion within this book. Um, but it really well represents the Harlem Renaissance, I think, and mm-hmm. the ideas that were being birthed, or I guess the ideas that were being rebirthed through mm-hmm. the Harlem Renaissance um, through this relationship of Jamie and other characters of Joe, Logan, Phoebe, um, the nanny. So I definitely recommend this book. Um, 1937, I believe, is when it was written. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really wonderful wonderfully written mm-hmm. so she was a wonderful writer it's um it's when it comes to the female side of the harlem renaissance a huge book like um one of the first books written that really faces womanhood mm. and race together head on absolutely um it talks about a lot of limitations you know limitations mm-hmm. of gender limitations of race and attacking these problems head on mm-hmm. which i think is why it can unfortunately be considered controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is wonderful in schools and using it if it's taught well to educate people on these problems that they may not be fully aware of. Sure. So, um, like Du Bois, uh, Zora Neale Hurston was um, collected anthropological stories and folklore. Um, and she has a lot of collections of those as well. We're not going to go into that, but um, I would highly recommend <laughs> them. Also, mm-hmm. W.E.B. Du Bois's. I hate that I said Du Bois's, but um, I hate. <laughs> I don't know what else. How what I, other way? I don't you know would other say way that. you could say that. But both of their uh, anthropological studies and folklore right. collections are incredible. Yes, um, yeah. and both of them equally were proponents for higher education and black involvement within higher education. I believe Her- Herson went to Columbia, and then Barnard, which is part of Columbia, isn't it? Yes. Um, 
Anyways, mm-hmm. she went to three different universities. Yeah, Wait, I don't did know. Did she have a doctorate? I don't know. She went to Morgan State University, Howard University, Barnard College within Columbia University. Okay. Uh, she won the Guggenheim Fellowship for Creative Arts. Okay. Um, so she has all sorts of awards. I don't know what her... I think her degree is in anthropology. Okay, that's cool. That would make sense because of the way she writes. A lot of also her work is influenced by a major event in her life of her mother dying when she was 13. Mm. And so that's an interesting idea and kind of motif found in several of her works Mm -hmm. to look at. So, um... The third person we're talking about is Langston Hughes. Langston Hughes. I admittedly, I think this is the person I know the least about. This is the person I know the most about. Oh, incredible. <laughs> we we help each other on this podcast. <laughs> I, we didn't even know that was going to happen. I didn't even know that was going to happen. No, um, I, I, in the outline for this episode, I just have Langston Hughes, prolific poet, and that's it. Well, you have the dates that he lived. You that's gotta true. give yourself some credit. I did look up the dates that he lived. Um, give yourself some credit, Elise. Go for it, Sarah. Talk so, about Langston Hughes for me. Again, as we mentioned before, black involvement within ed- education is extremely important at this time. And so he, Langston Hughes, received his education from Columbia as well. And he was there the same time as Hurston was. Oh, oh, that's right. They were friends. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he also attended Lincoln University after his time at Columbia. Okay. Um, and so highly educated as well. He also won, won the Guggenheim Fellowship for Creative Arts. So wow. very similar to Hurston in a lot of ways. Look at Zernia Hurston and Langston Hughes. Yeah, the comparison. Yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Um, so Hughes was a poet, a social activist, a novelist, a playwright, a columnist. Basically any form of writing, he took a stab at it. <laughs> yeah. um, but I would probably argue he's most noted for his poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very well-known poet as well as social activist. Um, his form of poetry is known as jazz poetry, and he's believed to be a leader of the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, so why is it called jazz poetry? I think because of the rhythmic nature of it. Mm. Um, I mean, if you were to read it, a lot of times during this age, like specifically in the speakeasies that we would talk about, poetry would be read with like jazz music in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe, you know, don't quote me on this, but if his poetry was intended to be read with jazz music or it's just of a more rhythmic mm. nature, I'm not particularly sure about that. Jazz um, related in any case. Yeah. Well, jazz is a huge part of this time in yeah. the Harlem Renaissance in general. Yeah. There's a huge birth of um, jazz music and the importance of that within black culture. Mm-hmm. So he, Hughes, is best known for his poetry with lyrical patterns, as we talked about. He also wrote a novel, like his 1929, Not Without Laughter, which is a, st- a collection of sto- short stories, as well as The Ways of White Folks. Um, his autobiography was entitled The Big Sea. Uh, he also wrote for Broadway musicals. Really? Yeah. That's um, awesome. Some of his most famous poems was, one was just called Harlem. One, Let America Be America Again, mm-hmm. which is interesting, especially I've, in today's political climate. I have analyzed that poem quite a bit, actually. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's a fascinating piece of work. Yeah. Uh, I, too, sing America, The Weary mm-hmm. Blues, Mother to Son, Dreams. So he has a lot of famous yeah, poems. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he, a motif seen through this time period was he was known as a rebellious poet, breaking from black literary establishment of the past um, into Harlem Renaissance and the rebirth. And he 
um, was influenced by his life in Harlem. Mm -hmm. And so as a leader of what is known as the Harlem Renaissance, he actually was from Harlem. Um, And he had a strong sense of racial pride as Mm -hmm. seen in many of these works throughout this time period. Yeah. Um, Um, Yeah, in his poetry, he conveyed a message of equality and racial justice and democracy, which is, um, yeah, frequently seen throughout them. And, like, in I Sing America 2, I don't know, it's it's an interesting poem because you could... Um, it it ha- bears the marks of a lot of black literature of the past, but it doesn't stand out. Uh, it it but it stands out from them also. I I don't know yeah. what I was gonna say, but like I yeah. think yeah. What's also interesting about his work in particular is that it talked about um, more of an unattractive view of black life instead mm-hmm. of idealizing it um, and giving a more realistic view, um, and so. That was criticized immensely, not only in his time period, but, I mean, still today, I would argue that Mm -hmm. his poetry is often criticized. But it was criticized in the time period by many black intellectuals for portraying what they thought was an unattractive view of black life. Mm. Um, That's seen a lot in The Big C, which was his autobiography. Okay, I should should read that. I I should do a deeper dive on Langston Hughes because I do love his poetry. I just don't know much about his life unfortunately i think in some way i don't know if they were i think they were in two different time periods either james baldwin was influenced by langston hughes there was some sort of relationship between them i don't know if it was physical or an influential relationship um sorry not to bring in a whole other character no that's i I was actually meaning about meaning (laughs) i was meaning to bring in james baldwin at the end Oh, okay. um, but well, like we'll we can we can talk about James Baldwin now because we were talking about him before, before. the episode started. Yeah, I'm personally interested in his work. Um, Have you um, seen the documentary that came out based on one of his works? Oh, oh, oh shoot! What's the name of that? I don't actually remember. If Beale Street could talk. Oh, that yeah, one of the the movies. That's yeah. like a movie kind of influenced by his work, isn't it? He wrote a book called If Beale Street Could Talk. Okay, but I remember reading something about how it was very different from the book. Oh, well, I didn't I didn't watch it. Okay, I haven't watched it either, but we... Next movie night? <laughs> next movie night. James Baldwin movies. I've heard... I mean, Denzel Washington is in that, right? No, that's Fences. He was in Fences, which is by Arthur... Someone. Um, anyway. Um, <laughs> so do we want to segue into James Baldwin really quick? Yeah, we could segue into James Baldwin. Okay. He so James Baldwin was I don't know the dates for his life, but he nineteen twenty four through nineteen eighty seven. Okay, that's right in the right smack dab in the middle of this. Yeah, so um, he probably would have been a contemporary of Langston Hughes. He was a contemporary of Langston Hughes. Yeah, Sign- significantly younger, but like um, not that significantly. Twenty years, but no. So um, James Baldwin was. Heavily involved in the politics of the civil rights movement. Yes, he was an activist, I think, before he was a writer. Yeah, um, but he was also, like, a genius writer. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Incredible incredible writer. He um, In various mediums as well. In various mediums. He documented also, this is, this is what the documentary is about. He documented his um, relationships with Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and Medgar Evers. Hmm. Um, and published he didn't publish them but he wrote down his the accounts of the how he knew them throughout their lives and their assassinations after they died and um 
and he was going to publish it, but then he died before he could publish it. Mm. So there's this like semi-autobiographical, yeah. semi-biographical take on the civil rights movement through the lens of these three men. And it's really interesting. Hmm. Um, wow. Yeah. That is very interesting. Um, he, yeah. So he got his acclaim through essays, novels, and plays. But like we said before, he was primarily an activist. Um but mm-hmm. he was famous, I mean, for his uh, works and his center on race, politics, and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he was um, he was a gay man in a time when America did not accept gay men. Especially gay black men. Especially gay black men, yes. Um, he was also friends with Maya Angelou. Um, who is a person we're going to talk about later also, but we're going to just talk about, you know what, let's just, let's just do away with the order and let's just talk about these people. So Um, do we want to go to Maya? Is it Angelou or Angelo? I'm not sure. I don't know either. I've always said Maya Angelou, but that might be Maya A. (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh, um, we should probably talk about Louis Armstrong before we move on to though, because he's earlier in the period so this is moving more from away from a literary Mm -hmm. significant figure to someone who's a more musical figure but equally important in that arts and music were a staple of the harlem renaissance he so speaking of jazz music with langston hughes Ah, he was the father of jazz yeah louis armstrong was the father of jazz he was he had an extremely distinct voice if you listen to any recording of him nowadays you'll be like oh louis armstrong it's kind of gravelly yeah but also like kind of high-pitched it's extremely distinct extremely distinct it's like it's a very very interesting voice and very in- fun to listen which to. is why he was famous i mean for his yeah voice yeah and his he was trumpet also playing. yeah like a virtuoso trumpet player yeah um he worked with dizzy gillespie who's also who's the father of big band music um so dizzy gillespie was another trumpet player he didn't sing but he was in the harlem renaissance as well um uh, he so with along with Zora Neale Hurston, W. B. Du Bois, he recorded folk songs and folk traditions, and um, put them on vinyl and made sure that they were set in like actually recorded for um, posterity, which is a really interesting theme throughout the Harlem Renaissance of people, you know, taking folk traditions and transcribing them Mm -hmm. so that they will be preserved because i don't think that african-american and black folk traditions had been preserved up to this point Mm -hmm. aside from like in small books and things like that they hadn't been preserved on a wide scale like they were by zora neale hurston wb du bois and Mm -hmm. louis armstrong yeah Um, and he was from new orleans which is typically thought to be the birthplace of jazz Mm -hmm. um and i mean he was a significant part of that but he he moved to harlem at one point didn't he i am not sure about that let me look so this is this is technically part of the harlem renaissance but he's also i mean you don't have to live in harlem to be part of the harlem renaissance yeah it's a broader it's a broader i mean even though it started in harlem it's it's a broader category than just new york he did move to New York City in 1924. He moved okay. to Harlem. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I mean, he was hugely significant to the Harlem Renaissance, as known as being the greatest trumpet player in the world, and just his legacy that brought both black and white people together. And that mm-hmm. part was hugely important mm-hmm. um, and brought a lot of attention to this movement of the Harlem Renaissance. He kind of opened the door for um, black musicians to get a, sh- a foot in 
to the music industry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he was also the first, um, I don't know if it was a black individual or musician to be featured in a major motion picture. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, th- all of these people at one point knew each other. Like, this is or at least a social group. Of each other, right? At least yeah. knew of each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, th- this was a this was a a social group like many other um like we've been talking about women in world history how like these circles pop up throughout history of intellectuals who all feed off of one another yeah um so this is one of those those circles of people who are all intimately connected with one another creating and doing good work and prop and disagreeing a lot of the time yeah i mean i don't love like historical speculation of being like what would happen if this didn't happen type thing but Mm -hmm. um you know to think about what would happen if one of these people did not exist to influence the other. Yeah. Is interesting. I mean, like well. very contingency. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like the influence there is just very heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so speaking of James Baldwin, Maya Angelou, Angelo, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> James Baldwin and Maya Angelou were, were um, friends. Uh, James Baldwin, I believe it was James Baldwin. Don't quote me on this, but I believe that James Baldwin introduced her to, like, the inner circle of Harlem writers. Um, so... I have the exact pronunciation. Okay. Oh, hold on. Maya Angelou. Angelou. Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou. Okay. So, he introduced her into the inner circle of Harlem writers, and, um, I've read her autobiography, her multiple autobiographies, um... And in one of them, she's, uh, like, she's introduced to this group of writers and she has written a play for them and she's going to read it aloud. Um, And uh, it's called something like People in Love, right? Mm -hmm. And she goes up there and she reads it. It's like an hour long. And James Baldwin comes up to her and says, that had neither people nor love in it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And then she was like, oh, I got to step it up. And then she became an incredible writer. Okay. Yeah. Well, she was a poet mm-hmm. um, and a civil rights activist. Mm-hmm. So she had seven autobiographies. Yeah. I've read four of them. Wow. That's very impressive. Thank you. I'm wanting to read all of them. But. She had three books of essays, several books of poetry, had a list of plays, movies, and yeah, yeah. she received dozens of awards and more than 50 honorary degrees. 50 50 50 oh my gosh she went oh she won a grammy for best spoken word album yes that's it's a it's brilliant she so she um uh she just spoke her poems with, with like a baseline kind of like an audiobook type yeah situation. kind of yeah um but yeah so she she started out as a as a singer in harlem originally hmm. Um, and then she began writing plays and she began writing poetry. Um, she was also one of those people who earlier in her career when she was singing, um, she would record folk songs also. Um, and she also was... She was a director. She was a director? She was Hollywood's first female black director. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's not exactly what she was famous for, but mm-hmm. she was. But that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, she also... Uh, what was she she was part of the pan-african movement also mm. so she was directly involved with i mean she lived within the time period and was directly involved with um dr martin luther king jr and mm-hmm. malcolm x yeah 
Um, but she married uh, one of the delegates of um, from I can't remember which African nation, but she married a, a delegate of an African nation who was part of the um, part of the like burgeoning Marxist slash pan-African movement that was coming around in like the late 50s. Mm. So she was hugely influential in multiple ways that are kind of confusing in how you could fit them all in one person. Yeah. The <laughs> most famous work I would say is probably I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, yes. which was from 1969. And it talks about what her early years in Long Beach, St. Louis, mm-hmm. and in Arkansas, um, and kind of about how, I mean, it's a, a very intense mm-hmm. I wasn't able to finish situation. that one, honestly. Um, yes. It's not lighthearted. It's Mm-mm. not an easy read. No. Uh, yeah. But she, in her own, like, as we're talking about these people influencing other people, she read black authors like Langston Hughes, W.E.B. Mm-hmm. Du Bois, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, as well as more, like, what we consider to be canonical works like Shakespeare, Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe. And she was influenced mm-hmm. by all these people. Um, and you can find influences throughout her own work of these different people. Mm-hmm. Like all again, all of these writers were highly connected and right. influenced each other. Yeah, yeah. She also joined the Harlem Writers Guild in the late 1950s, that's, and that's where she met James Baldwin. That's where she met. That's what I was referring to. Right. Yeah. So yeah, she was inspired by his message and the message of Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she actually was the Northern Coordinator for Dr. King's SCLC. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, all of these people were, were both activists and artists Mm -hmm. and they were like, they were, they were, I I don't know. It's just a great environment. It seems to both disagree and learn from one another. Um, yeah, I mean, we can analyze a lot of works that have come out during this time. A lot of pieces of music that have come out during mm -hmm. this time, um, yeah, just such an interesting literary and artistic movement to yeah. better understand. I wanted to play a piece by Louis Armstrong, Louis Armstrong for you guys, but that's not happening because I don't have the copyright. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, look it up Sorry. on your own. <laughs> look it up on your own time. He's great, though. Um, I'm sure you've heard it. I mean, yeah. I don't know how you could not have, but... You, even, even if you don't think you've heard it, you've probably heard something yeah, sure by have. him. Uh, um I mean, other artists we can quickly mention that have come out of sure. the Harlem Renaissance. Aaron Douglas, Augusta Savage, um, Jacob Lawrence, uh, William Johnson, Claude McKay, Bessie Smith. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, Josephine. I, there, was, there was an actress, Josephine. I can't remember her last name. Um... Baker, Josephine Baker mm-hmm. was her name. She was um, one of the first black actresses to gain mainstream notoriety. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I would definitely encourage everyone to look up some of these works. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't even know what to recommend as like a great start into this time period. Yeah. Maybe not Maya Angelou's that we mentioned. No, maybe you should start like... Start with something else. Start with Souls of Black Folk. Yeah, that's a good one. Because that's going to give your you... Make your way up to Maya yeah, Angelou. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's going to give you a really good foundation to build yeah. off of because it's going... That's the book that's influenced or, most um, of this. Or the poem 
America. What was the one? Uh, America. If I don't remember, you just said it, but I don't. Something remember. America. I oh, too. Um, I too sing America. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but even that, like, I think that W. E. B. Du Bois. It's really important to understand him in order to understand the rest of the movement. Hmm. Um, because he was like. I would go so far as to say that he was the originator. Yeah. Of this. This is a long kind movement. of time period that we're talking about here. It's yeah. not short. No, it's it's like twenty to sixty slash eighty. And I think it's important to like mention how much change over time there is within this. Mm-hmm. I mean there's all these black figures coming out of this time and literary and artistic movements, but I mean civil rights and mm-hmm. the Great Depression, World War One, World War Two. I mean all these yeah, massive World things. World War Two that you've got the feminist movements at yeah. the same time you've got i mean you go from prohibition to you go from prohibition to like drug crisis yeah so i mean you <laughs> um, have so much happening in this time that it's yeah. a lot to tackle and talk about in a short amount of time i think you know we you have to mention the historical context yeah. um within so, this like it basically starts with prohibition and it ends Great with depression. james baldwin dying essentially yeah yeah I, I if I was if I if I was a historian, that was how I would divide it. It almost <laughs> is like you are a history student. I'm a history student, but I'm not a historian. Maybe one Dr. day I'll Dr. Wetzel publish says it. everyone who studies history is a historian. I know Dr. Wetzel does. You that. <laughs> maybe are a public or a popular historian. I would I would say I'm a popular historian at this level. Maybe we're not professional historians yet, yes. but we can be popular historians. We're po- we're popular. Yeah, yeah, we're we, popular. Hey, hey. <laughs> I don't hey. think that's what you meant to no, say. No, 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 no. We have published works we that where where we have done research. We do this, this, this is our public this is work. A published work. <laughs> okay, we're um Elise and I are actually both presenting at a research conference. We are. It's called the Celebration of Scholarship. What are you presenting on? I'm presenting a paper on Mustafa Kemal or the Father of the Turks. Whoa. So we're he, presenting on very different things. I yeah, I, I, I guess that. Uh, um, so I got really into a Turkish revolution phase. Sure, why not? <laughs> and um, and Mustafa Kemal, if if you know anything about Middle Eastern history, you have to know about Mustafa Kemal. He maybe that'll be our next episode. Maybe, maybe I, I could talk about him. We have to keep but, our tradition of talking about <laughs> something we're going to talk about in the future. Yeah. But um. No, he was he was a, hi- a highly important figure in the history of Turkey yeah. and the history of the Ottoman Empire in general. I'm talking about the identity of the pharaoh Nefer-Neferuaten and oh, the yeah. potential that Nefertiti actually assumed this role of this pharaoh and became Nefer-Neferuaten. We talked about that in our Dr. Johnson episode a little bit, Did didn't we? we? I read this paper a little while ago, mm-hmm. and I'm just presenting the research now. But it's one of the first times that I really do feel like I've contributed to the historiography of the subject, mm. um, which is a good, it's a good feeling. Yeah. Um, bringing together evidence that not ne- has not necessarily been brought together before to prove Absolutely. this point. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, the one time I've, well, I felt like that a few times, but the major one that I've, where I felt like that has been my oddly enough my paper for the roosevelt's class um that i took with dr wetzel um it's like i feel like the roosevelt's have been done to death but i wanted to talk about swedish immigration and that's interesting roosevelt and i could find almost nothing on the topic so the research that i did is maybe some of the only research that's been done on it yeah that's Um, really cool but yeah 
Sorry, we got off track from the Harlem Renaissance, but it's <coughs> fun to talk track. about our other history projects and yeah, yeah. what we're doing and hopefully inspire potential history majors to become history majors because you get to do cool stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to tell stories. Tell, really. I mean, that's what we do here. That's mm-hmm. what we do in our papers. That's what we do in our classes. Mm-hmm. Um, potential summer jobs that we're not yet talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know anything about D&D? This is a, not off topic, by the way. This is not off topic. How is this not off topic? It's not off topic. Just, just... Um, no. Okay. I want to be a bard, but in real life. I still don't know what we're Never talking mind. about and how Never this mind. is on topic. Never mind. It is It is on topic because this is not just in D&D, but like historically speaking, bards have been the collectors of history and they've like memorized okay. it. And I'm like, thinking more like songs. ancient Egyptian scribes. I'd well, be I want to be a bard because I gender. S- because I because you can be one as a woman. One. Yeah, you can't describe. You can sing your yeah. stories. Go ahead, Elise. So, on um, air. <laughs> I have had too much coffee today, and my throat hurts. So no. <laughs> nice excuse. It. <laughs> I'll sing for you one day. Um. Anyway. Is there anything else that we would like to talk about that's maybe Harlem Renaissance or not Harlem Renaissance related? I did ask our Instagram followers. If you have not followed us, follow us on Instagram at live from the past, please. And thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked our followers if they had any questions about our topic today. So let's see. Oh, well, this is not particularly about the Harlem Renaissance, but what is a book you're reading right now? I am reading A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. Okay. Don't recommend it. Oh. Don't recommend it. Aggressively. <laughs> it's very, very, very good, but don't recommend it. I'm not going to okay, explain Okay, you need to why. expand. I'm not going to explain why. But you why. can't say it's so good and then you don't recommend it. Um, It's really difficult, um, like emotionally okay. very, very heavy. So if you're in a good place, you should read Go it. Go for it. But like, I don't want to have that on my conscience of recommending it to someone. Got it. Without, yeah. Anyway, okay. it's very good though. I'm currently... um. If I get accepted by this place I studied, I applied for study abroad, I will be taking a course on Jane Austen. Um, and so I'm currently making my way through all of her works. And oh. so I'm currently reading Emma. Okay. Yeah. How, how are you enjoying it? I love Emma. I mean, I don't love the character Emma. I love the book Emma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's so good. I just love Jane Austen. I think my next one that I'm going to be reading is Sense and Sensibility or mm-hmm. Mansfield Park. Or Northern Grabby. Those are the ones I've left. Mm. Northern Grabby's good. It's really It's just short, so but... dark and gothic, though, which is just not what I gravitate towards but normally. It's so funny, though. I know. I just have a hard <laughs> time with darker humor like that. Mm. Um, but that is on my list, so I will be reading that soon. Um, but yeah, I'm almost done with Emma. I think I have a few chapters left. Okay. Um, tell me how you. Tell me what you think. Yeah, I re- I love it. Um, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Uh. I love Jane Austen's wit and humor, mm-hmm. especially for this time. It's so funny to see. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. Okay, another question we have. What is one thing you're looking forward to between now and the end of the semester? We only have five weeks left. Yeah. Can you believe that? We have five weeks. Well, Until midterms. And not midterms, finals. but finals. Whoa. Until finals. <laughs> oh, gosh, not midterms. <laughs> not midterms again. That's really <laughs> concerning, Elise. <laughs> I did the same thing last night, actually. Um, anyway. You're I, in April. <laughs> I am. <laughs> um, I thought it was fall a couple days Yeah, that's ago. real concerning. <laughs> um, um, okay, so 
We're both presenting. We're That's both presenting. Something to look forward to. I have an open mic. If you go to my university and you know who I am, I have an open mic. So vague. <laughs> <laughs> I have an open mic um, on the 22nd. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, it's at a little coffee shop in town um, that you will know because there's only one sh- coffee shop in town. Um, Holy cow. I'm going to come. And it's 22nd. Yeah. Um, so I'm playing What's mandolin that? and singing. It's the f- at 530. Cool. Well, well, my part is at 530, but it starts at five i think i have never heard you sing yeah i don't sing in front of people most of the time because i don't and i'm not often prepared to sing i have to be very psyched up to do it but i will be at that point so (laughs) one thing i'm looking forward to um presenting um i'm going home this weekend with some friends which will be fun Mm -hmm. um easter is coming up oh yeah and, I mean, hopefully I will hear back from this job and my study abroad application before the semester's over. I really mm-hmm. hope that I do. Um, and so I guess that's something to hopefully look forward to, unless yeah. it's rejection. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, my boyfriend and I have our one-year anniversary Aww. coming up that's next exciting. week. So that's bef- before the end of the semester, but also very fast. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think just finishing up, too. I mean, we're kind of in that period now where everyone's a bit stressed and tired, um, a bit burnt out, but mm-hmm. we'll make it through. Yeah. Um, so I think just finishing up. Yeah, just finishing up the semester, like, looking forward to going into a new year. Yeah. Um, I'm also, I've got two very cool roommates for the summer, so I, and mm-hmm. I will not say their names, but <laughs> I'm looking forward to hanging out with them. So, cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right. Well, this, I think, has been it. So Yeah. Thank you so much for learning about the Harlem Renaissance. Um, yeah. Take it upon yourself to learn more. Mm-hmm. Read some of these works that we've recommended. Listen to some of the music we've recommended. Yeah, please do. It's, um, if you have time, if you're a college student, please don't feel pressured to do that. Yeah. But do listen to the music because it's fantastic. A um, great way to learn more is just immersion. Yeah. Yeah. So, Immerse so, yourself. Um, just immerse yourself. Live live in it. It's an easy way to learn. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you for listening. This has been Elise Wickstrom. And Sarah Campbell. And this has been Live, Live from, from the, the past. past. Yeah. See you next week. See you next week. And you found-